Today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Go to BuiltBar.com and use the promo code LOCKEDON and you'll get 20% off your next order. You are Locked On Giants, your daily New York Giants podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, New York Giant fans, and welcome to another edition of Locked On Giants, part of the Locked On Podcast family, your team every day. Patricia Trainer here with you, and uh, it's Monday, May 3rd, and originally I wasn't planning on doing a podcast today because as if you listened to me over the weekend, I said that I was going to get the second vaccine and I didn't know how it would affect me, but you know what? I'm doing a podcast anyway. Why not? And I'm actually taping it, you know, a couple days before. But that's okay because the draft is over. There's plenty to talk about. And joining me to talk about it, if you have been reading Giants Country, you're 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 going to be very familiar with this next guest of mine, the one and only Nick Filato, the man behind all the fantastic scouting reports, the man who does Filato's film room. Awesome young football analyst, and so glad to have you, Nick, on the podcast. Patty, thank you so much for having me. I mean, I really appreciate coming on the podcast, and we could talk some New York Giants football because what a different draft it was, Patty. Oh my gosh, you're not kidding! And Nick, you know, I got to start off by asking this: Who kidnapped Dave Gettleman and replaced him with with somebody who was willing to trade down? I'm not sure, to be honest. I mean, I think Dave Gettleman. <laughs> Must have heard Daniel Jeremiah, and he was like, all right, we'll see about that. I'm not only going to trade down once, I'm going to trade down twice. We can make right in NASCAR, Mr. Daniel Jeremiah. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. And, and you know, I made the comment. I, I've been covering the Giants for almost 30 years now. I don't ever remember them making this many trades, especially in the first three rounds. I mean, two trade downs in rounds one and two. And a trade up in round three. And I'll tell you what, when just to see the haul that he was able to get, my goodness, and, and especially in a draft class that next year is going to be so much deeper, so much richer in talent. Do you realize all the options he's going to have at his disposal, at his disposal, given all these extra draft picks they have? Yeah, it's going to be awesome. And honestly, it's one thing too that I look at and we all hope that Daniel Jones is going to be a success, right? Like that's a given. We want Daniel Jones to succeed, but mm-hmm. if it happens, he does not succeed. Now the Giants have an extra first round pick to trade up and they'll probably, if he doesn't succeed, have a top 10, top 12 pick anyway, but they can use that extra ammunition to trade up to get whoever the number one quarterback is coming out. Now we, no one really knew who Zach Wilson was at this time last year. The year prior, no one really knew who Joe Burrow was. So there could be this star quarterback who ascends, and if Daniel Jones does end up floundering, which would be very unfortunate because I am a fan of Daniel Jones, the Giants would have that draft capital to trade up. That's just a whole other aspect to this, not to mention just the 2022 draft in general. There should be a lot more certainty because there's going to be those in-person visits, which we know the Giants put such a high precedent on because they love drafting these senior bowl guys. Those are the only in-person visits they were really able to get. Everything else was over Zoom. Look how many senior bowl guys they drafted in this class. 
Right, right, definitely. And and if and if they don't end up, you know, needing a quarterback, you know, figured they might need an offensive lineman because they didn't do offensive line really in this draft, or they could go in any number of directions. Maybe there there will be a I don't know a Chase Young type of pass rusher or something. But that's so far off, and it's kind of early to talk about that because obviously you've got to see who declares and and whatnot. But Nick, let's wind it back a little bit. Let's talk about the six picks that Gettleman made in this draft um, doubled up at cornerback. He doubled up at edge. So pr- pr- primarily was a defensive uh, theme draft. Just give me your overall thoughts on, on what he did with these picks, what you liked, what you didn't like, what surprised you. Honestly, I really like this draft first off, just because of the trade down and getting that extra capital that I just talked about. But Dave Gettleman made a precedent after the season to say, look, we need to add offensive playmakers for Daniel Jones. That's what we need to find. And then in free agency, he went and he signed Kenny Galladay, brought in Kyle Rudolph, added John Ross, and you're getting a healthy Saquon Barkley back. But it's pretty evident after this first round with the trade down and with the apparent interest that they had in those Alabama wide receivers that Dave Gettleman was pretty fixed on drafting a wide receiver or a playmaker in round one. And the Eagles did what the Eagles do. (laughs) They, uh, I guess you could say screw the Giants over like they did in week 17, depending on how you look at it. And they jumped the Giants to get Devonta Smith, an incredibly talented and technical wide receiver out of Alabama. So the Giants, Dave Gettleman, front office, they pitched to the Chicago Bears and Ryan Pace. Hey, come up and get your guy. Just give us next year's one, a five this year and a four next year. Love that trade. They get Justin Field. They're able to trade up to secure him. And the Giants drop back to 20. And I was thinking the Giants could go edge there. Jalen Phillips just came off the board. I'm a huge fan of Jalen Phillips. He was my number one ranked edge coming out of this class. Azizu Shalari was my second. And I thought they might go with Quiddy Pay, the pass rusher from Michigan. Maybe even Azizu Shalari at 20. But instead, they go with Kadarius Tony. And I watched film on Kadarius Tony. I saw him at the Senior Bowl. I really liked him. But then I go deeper into his film. And it's, it's really, really impressive stuff, Patty, because this guy is an excellent playmaker with the football in his hands. And they used him all the time as a running back, as well as a receiver. He was a quarterback coming out of high school. So he was recruited as a quarterback, as an athlete, going to the University of Florida. And he only played one full year, full-time year, as a wide receiver in Dan Mullen's offense. And he had a phenomenal season for the Florida Gators, went down to the Senior Bowl, and absolutely dominated the competition down there as well. And the thing that I think I love the most about Kadarius Tony is his contact balance. The guy just bounces off tacklers. The defenders hit him, and he's so hard to bring down. And he's not that big of a guy. He's about six foot, 193 pounds. But he has that contact balance similar to somebody like Alvin Kamara, which is, I'm not comparing him to Alvin Kamara, but I see similarities there. If you watch just the highlights or go through Tony's film, he has that ability to just shed the block or shed the defenders and make people miss as well. Incredible stop-start ability, really good change of direction, lateral agility, all the athleticism you really want. Doesn't necessarily have the breakaway speed. I wouldn't say he had that. He didn't get tracked down from behind. But man, just an exciting playmaker that the Giants landed at 20 that it could do so many different things with. I really hope Jason Garrett figures out a way to maximize Kadarius Tony because he could be a really fun weapon for this Giants. And getting him at 20 after the trade down, I mean, I think that's somewhat of a steal. Yeah, I was uh, surprised he was actually there, to be honest with you. I mean, um, you know, then we came the word that uh, uh, Urban Meyer, I think, was looking to draft him. And, you know, I had heard leading up to the draft that his stock was actually rising 
Um, so I didn't know if he was, he would make it, you know, I, obviously I thought that he might be there at 11, but once the giants traded down, I said, Oh, I don't know. You know, I thought maybe they would go edge rusher at that spot, but let me ask you this. I mean, so now the giants at, at, at receiver, they've got John Ross, who I believe is a slot guy. They have Sterling Shepard, who I believe is going to go back to the slot primarily. Darius Slayton's an outside guy. Um, Kenny Galladay is an, is going to be the X. So where do you fit uh, Kadarius Tony? Is he more of a slot guy, or can he can he play both outside and and inside? I think he's going to be a slot guy. He played about eighty eight percent of the snaps in twenty twenty in the slot for Dan Mullen's offense down there in Florida. But I also think they're going to use him in the backfield, where you can do shotgun split back Saquon Barkley, Kadarius Tony, and really really get creative. It's it's a good problem to have, but the Giants have an abundance of wide receivers right now on their roster, which is, like I said, a great problem to have. Because last year, how many times did we have to see the C.J. Boards and the Damian Ratleys of the world running routes? And it's just like, geez, you've got to get Daniel Jones some weapons. So now you have Kenny Galladay. You can put Sterling Shepard back in the slot, have Darius Slayton. You can maximize those one-on-one -on -one matchups and not have cloud coverage or anything like that because he's not even close to being the biggest threat like he presumably could have been last year. Have Evan Ingram, you can use him creatively if he's still on the roster at that time. Kyle Rudolph's going to excel in the Y-stick option, something that Jason Garrett loves to run, and he basically made Jason Witten a Hall of Famer with that specific play, and Giants fans know all too well that Y-stick option can be very, very dangerous if used effectively. Evan Ingram is not the tight end for that, but Kyle Rudolph is. John Ross, I think he's just going to be a bit player who can take off the top of defenses. He can play outside. I mean, you like having the speed and the inside, but he has some snaps also on the outside as well. You can just get really, really creative with your personnel packages. And we know Jason Garrett loves to run multiple tight end packages. So that's still going to be a thing. So these receivers aren't going to be playing 80, 90% of the snaps. Kenny Galladay might be, but some of these other ones are going to be in a more rotational role. So you have to rotate and get different personnel packages out there, depending on the situation, the down and distance, time left on the clock. And whenever they are in up-tempo, they better have the right personnel in there. Probably would be 11 personnel. And if I was a betting man, I think they're 11 personnel right now. I mean, it's kind of hard to say. Is Kadarius Tony going to crack that base 11 personnel? Or is he going to be more of a gadget type of player early on? And then they could just use him in a, in a, in a role that will be able to just create plays, essentially, where you have Sterling Shepard in the slot. Sometimes you can replace him in the slot. But I, I look at Kadarius Tony, and I, I personally believe that the addition of all of these other offensive coaches are going to be in Jason Garrett's ear, and they're going to have to find really creative ways to get him the football. They're going to be, hey, we're going into this game. Our game plan is to get Kadarius Tony at least six touches, one of those types of things. And then Defenses are going to have to focus on him, and that's going to allow more opportunities, one-on-one -on -one matches for Kenny Galladay, more opportunities, maybe lighter boxes for Saquon Barkley. But you really need to use Kadarius Tony pre-snap motion. You need to use him off the line of scrimmage and stack because his release package is not quite there yet. So you need to make sure you're using him correctly, and I really hope this Giants coaching staff can get that right. You are listening to Locked On Giants with Patricia Chena and special guest Nick Filato, writer at Giants Country. Does a fantastic job. Also has his own podcast with Dan Shire, Big Blue Banter. And we are going to take a quick break. When we come back, more from Nick as we wrap up the New York Giants draft 2021. Stay with us. What is good, Giants fans? Listen up. Nugenics is the number one selling free testosterone booster at GNC, and they're offering complimentary bottles 
to all football fans in America. To get your complimentary bottle of Nugenics Total Tea, text DRAFT to 231-231. That's DRAFT, D-R-A-F-T, to 231-231. This unique man-boosting formula is powered by Testafin, which helps boost free testosterone and total testosterone levels and increase energy and lean muscle mass as well. There's a reason that Nugenics has been the number one selling free testosterone booster at GNC for years. Simply put, it works. Plus, text now and they'll include a bottle of Nugenics Thermo, their most powerful fat incinerator ever, with key ingredients to help you get back into shape absolutely free. Just text DRAFT to 231231. That's DRAFT to 231231. Message and data rates may apply. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action, regardless of the sport or the major event. Bet online also covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV, offering real-time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. Bet online has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit when you enter the promo code locked on. Bet online, your sports book experts. Welcome back, Giant fans, to Locked On Giants. Patricia Trainer here with you on this Monday, May 3rd, and I am joined by Nick Filato. If you have read Giants Country over the last several months, you know all about him. He's the, the film guru, the guy who does all our film work, the guy who did a wonderful job with breaking down the tape of all the draft prospects. So if you want to know about a draft prospect, Nick's work is is who you want to check out, and uh, happy to have him here on the podcast. And Nick, let's talk a little bit now about the defensive side, because again, this draft class was heavily defensive. Um, Two cornerbacks, two edge rushers. Let's start with the edge rushers, uh, Aziz Ojulari. Um, and then uh, Ellerson Smith, a guy who I know a lot of people were just excited that they got. They feel that he was one of the sleeper picks, if you will, in these draft, a guy that wasn't being talked about a lot. How do you kind of see those two guys fitting into the equation? And what does that mean for, you know, Odenigbo, Carter, Zimenez, um, Cam Brown, some of the guys that they, they already have um, to, to rush the passer? Yeah, so Lorenzo Carter and O'Shane Zimenez need to prove that they're healthy and that they can get on the field. But adding Aziz Ojolari, who I'll start with, he was my – Jalen Phillips was my favorite edge, but Aziz Ojolari was the edge that I felt like would have fit in Patrick Graham's system the best because Patrick Graham and Jalen Phillips can do these things too, but Patrick Graham really looks for players who are aggressive against the run, who can set the edge, who's not going to get bullied off the line of scrimmage, who will take on pullers and power gap and just keep that inside rushing lane narrow. Players that can also drop into coverage are fluid enough to do that to the boundary. We saw Kyler Fackle do that as Aziz Ojolari is more fluid in space than he is. And then obviously, guys who can rush the passes. And Aziz Ojolari has one really, really good pass rush move. And I think he still can refine his plan, kind of do a better job stringing moves together. And I also think that he could probably do a better job getting through his counter move when his first move isn't there. But his move of the inside arm stab and the violent chop with his right arm and then dipping the inside shoulder to get around the edge using some speed and bend to manipulate the tackle and get his hips into the pocket, 
that's kind of his bread and butter move, and it works. And he does it really, really well. And Aziz Ojolari, honestly, he's not somebody who has incredible lower body flexibility. He can bend through contact. I've seen it, but it's not, I wouldn't say it's his best trait. But that one pass rushing move and the violence that he has in his hands is excellent. The dude has 34-plus-inch arms, and he's six foot two, So he has the natural leverage to defend the run, yet still have those long arms like a six foot six pass rusher would have to be able to rush the pass. So I really love that about him as well. I think that's a really important part of Aziz Ojolari. And as for Ellison Smith, who is six foot six, his arms are significantly actually shorter than Aziz Ojolari by about an inch. He's about 33 and some change inch arms, which just speaks to kind of the freak build of Aziz Ojolari. But Ellison Smith, that's a value pick right there. You land him in the fourth round. This is a guy who played at Northern Iowa, so he didn't get a chance or an opportunity to play in 2020, had a whole year off. Then he goes down to the Reese's Senior Bowl, Patty, and he dominates, and he shows quickness, and he shows the ability to string moves together. He shows counter moves, and he just shows a unique skill set in terms of rushing the passer combined with really, really excellent athletic ability. And it caught my eye, and I had to dive into his film. It's kind of hard to find, and I really loved him going into this pre-draft process. And then he goes down to the pro day, and he's absolutely insane, Patty. He's jumping like 41 and a half inches in the vert, testing 95th and 98th percentile in those explosive drills. It's just, and then he also has big hands as well. And it was just one of those things where I'm like, wow, this guy's actually an excellent athlete. And he was recruited to go to Northern Iowa to be a tight end. And I believe he was like 195 pounds. He put on like 60 pounds since then, and he still maintains this level of athletic ability. I think the potential for an Ellison Smith is really excellent for the New York Giants. And I also just really want to see him in the stunt and twist game with Leonard Williams in this Patrick Graham system because he's so quick moving laterally. He does a good job bending. And I think he's just going to be a real pain for some of these interior offensive linemen or tackles to kind of get when the Giants want to use those creative uh, blitzing and stunts and twists. And whenever Patrick Graham wants to employ those, I think Ellerson Smith, as the season wears on a little bit more, could be a dangerous threat in that area. But the one thing about him that I don't love is he doesn't have a lot of sand in his ass when it comes to taking on those blocks. That's, that's a little bit problematic. So as a run defender, it's not quite there yet. I don't see him setting the edge consistently. He allows tackles to get into his chest a little bit, raise his center of gravity. So that's something they don't have to work on. Just a play straight standpoint, he's more of a finesse pass rusher. doesn't necessarily convert speed to power. So those are things that I want to see him improve on. Hopefully he will with the New York Giants, NFL weight training room, all those kind of things. And as for the edge you brought up how they're going to employ the edges. Honestly, I think you're going to see some Ryan Anderson on early downs. I think Odenabo is going to be on some early downs. I think Aziz Ojalari might be a full-time starter. And if you can get Lorenzo Carter and O'Shane Zimenez back, I think Zimenez, he hasn't proven to me that he can defend the run quite yet. So he might be a situational pass rusher. But Carter has proven that he can defend the run. So I think he could see some Georgia Bulldogs out there on the edge. But I expect a rotation because that's what the Giants like to do. You're still going to see maybe a little bit of Carter Coughlin and Cam Brown, but it's just good to have these extra bodies in the room with Ellison Smith and Aziz Ojolari, two really talented football players. Yeah, very, very uh, – I, th- I think they just totally upgraded their pass rush. And, you know, it's been a long, long time since they've had – true dogs in there. I think you'd have to go back to Jason Pierre-Paul when he was there to, to say that they had a homegrown dog capable of really, you know, taking over a game and wrecking a game all by his lonesome. And I think they finally have some guys capable of doing that. Nick, let's move back to the cornerback spot because again, that 
that got a little bit muddied now. They've added uh, two cornerbacks back there to go with Adore Jackson, who they signed in free agency. How do you see that kind of shaking out? So I dove into Aaron Robinson's film, and I posted a film review on Giant Country. Everyone should go check it out. And man, Aaron Robinson has some really good man coverage skills. He is very, very fluid in his hips. He can commit them outside, quickly turn them inside. And he has movement skills that are of a excellent NFL type athlete, not even just a college one. I think he's actually one of the more underrated players in this draft. And the Giants traded up in the third round to nab him. And it took me by surprise a little bit. I'm like, the Giants added Dory Jackson. They drafted Darnay Holmes last year. Now they go and they trade up to get this guy. But Giants still need depth in the secondary and the Giants are, they seem like they're a smart organization who realize that you can't have liabilities in your secondary. Last year, 2020, Giants had a really, really good defense, outperformed a lot of our expectations, but they still had a glaring liability in cornerback too. Isaac Yidem, Ryan Lewis, they were targets all the time for offensive coordinators to just kind of exploit. So the Giants had to run safer zone coverage concept, middle of the field closed type of defenses now I'm expecting a lot more press man that's what I think this really means because Robinson lined up a lot in press man for UCF so I really and so did Rodarius Williams the Oklahoma State guy they got in the sixth round now I don't think he's going to see the field as much but he still has that experience but Robinson I think one of the more interesting camp battles is going to be Robinson and Darnay Holmes and I think Robinson could realistically win that I think he fits the profile a bit better as a press man corner. And I love Darnay Holmes. I think Darnay Holmes is an absolute stud. But just giving Patrick Graham the opportunity to run more man coverage should unlock this defense to an even higher level because man coverage is, I'm in your hip pocket. These throwing windows are so much smaller. You have to thread the needle so much more. And when you have the athletes like James Bradbury and Adoree Jackson and all the safeties that the Giants have, and you put Robinson or Holmes in the slot, it allows you to do so many different things. So I'm really looking forward to that. And I really like the addition. It was an aggressive move to trade up for a position that you could argue the Giants don't necessarily need. But the player at pick 71, I mean, that's that's what it's about. You added a really good football player who fits with you want to do the identity of your defense, something you weren't really able to do, but now you should be able to do with all the additions that they made in this offseason. And Rodarius Williams, I think he's more of just a uh, special teams type of guy. I haven't dove in too deep into his film yet, but I, I look at him, he's a long player. He had a lot of ball production at Oklahoma State, and he's the older brother of Greedy Williams, which is weird because Greedy Williams was drafted last year. But I look at Rodarius Williams, and I see a player who can come in on special teams, is an aggressive tackler, as is Aaron Robinson. You know Joe Judge and Dave Gettleman love their tackling cornerbacks. They stated as much. They want cornerbacks, or they want a secondary who is who just know how to tackle, who are willing to tackle, because I think that's a given with NFL players, Patty. It's really not. Not a lot of NFL players really want to get dirty, but Darius and Aaron Robinson are both players who will get dirty. He surrendered 11 touchdowns at Oklahoma State through his four seasons, had two picks, but 27 PVUs, so he has a knack to get to the catch point and be aggressive at the catch point where Darius Williams, that is. But he's a little high cut, not as fluid, uh, I would say, with his footwork, especially, and in the hips as someone like a Robinson. So he might just be someone who's relegated to special teams, but still it's good to add depth. We'll see if he can crack the roster. Now, Nick, I've got to ask you about a unit that I know I've got a lot of tweets about. I'm sure you probably got a lot, too. The Giants didn't add to the offensive line. Are you surprised that they didn't add to the offensive line? And do you agree with the decision not to add in the draft? 
Well, I was surprised, to be honest. I think this interior offensive line could be a problematic unit for the Giants, and I'm hoping the development goes well. Nick Gates made the transition from an undrafted tackle to a center, and he actually played really well. But the guard spots, now that you lost Kevin Zeitler, that's, I look at that as we have a lot of hope, maybe even some coaching hubris, that Rob Sale and his coaching staff is going to be able to develop these guys and get the most out of them. But development isn't always linear. It, it's not, and that's a sad reality. Sometimes guys regress, and if that happens, and all these shiny toys that the Giants added, they're not going to be able to be maximized. Because Shane Lemieux, I mean, I love his aggressiveness in the run game, his ability to pull on those counter tray plays, but he gets beat right off the snap a lot in pass protection. And Daniel Jones, to his credit, did a pretty solid job avoiding contact a lot of times, getting football out of his hands, but that can't continue to happen. And then Will Hernandez has been a disappointment. I mean, a 30, what was he, the 34th overall pick back in 2018, had a good 2018 season, and then he's kind of just fallen off. I'm hoping he can kind of reclaim that 2018 self. But the Giants, I mean, I'm looking – at the draft, and I'm thinking, where could they have went? Because I wanted Aziz Ojolari there at pick 50. That was the guy that I really wanted. I was really, really ecstatic when they landed him. And I believe it was Aaron Banks that ended up going, was it a couple picks before, I believe, the Aziz Ojolari selection. He went 48, yes, to the San Francisco 49ers. Jackson Carmen went 46, and Landon Dickerson went 37 to the Eagles. I'm wondering if the Giants were interested in those interior offensive linemen, but either way, I would have preferred Aziz Ojolari. And as the draft wound on, Trey Smith was somebody I was looking at, maybe interested in for a day three pick, but the blood clots really led him to slide. He ended up being a seventh-round selection. Giants didn't look at guys like Quinn Miners, the kid from Wisconsin, Whitewater that I really loved. Ben Cleveland ended up going to the Ravens, a couple other interior offensive linemen that I like, and they just didn't end up adding. So now they're going to bring in a bunch of undrafted free agents who can, I guess, possibly compete. Maybe Kyle Murphy can have something. But it is something that I, I think gives me a little bit of a reservation, I would say. Now, it could all go well. These guys could develop. Rob Sale can unlock all them, and then this offensive line can continue to hit the stride, kind of like they did at the end of the season in the rushing game. That's what they did. But it's still relying on a lot of young pieces to, to take a step and you're also relying on all of them to be healthy because if one of these guards get injured, you're looking at Zach Fulton, who gave up 11 sacks last year as a starter. And that's not something that's exactly great. And then if a tackle gets hurt, it's going to be Nate Solder. I mean, I'm not 100% sure what Nate Solder is going to be able to offer the Giants right now with a year off from football. But I am glad that he came back to the Giants just because he is a good leader and he has had good tape. I guess you could say that was back in like 2018. He has solid tape, but it's not somebody you want to rely on is my point. And I didn't necessarily want them to attack the tackle position specifically, but I really wanted them to look at investing in the interior offensive line, specifically the guard. But they didn't go in that direction, and they ended up getting good other football players that are good. So let's hope the development actually takes from this coaching staff onto players like Shane Lemieux, Nick Gates, and Will Hernandez. If you had to outline the offensive line, the starting offensive line right now based on the personnel, I mean, what would be the ideal lineup given what the Giants try to do on offense? Yeah, so for me, it would be Andrew Thomas at left tackle, Shane Lemieux at left guard, because they, as, as bad as Lemieux is in pass protection sometimes, and those are just, but those are just mainly issues with him. It's not necessarily the cohesiveness that he has with Nick Gates or with Andrew Thomas. So I would like to keep the left side intact like that. Nick Gates at center, right guard would be Will Hernandez, and then the right tackle would be Matt Perry. I would, I would like to give that kid a shot. I think he's earned that at this point. But even Matt Perry, I mean, 
that's not a given that the 99th overall selection last year is going to just become an excellent player. He was very, very raw coming out of UConn, and he has some solid tape, but he doesn't really have all that much experience playing in the NFL. He was played in a more rotational role at offensive line. So I hope Matt Perry can really take his game to the next level. And I'm cautiously optimistic that that can happen, but I'm also cautiously optimistic that all of these offensive linemen will take their game to the next level. And that's what kind of gives me a little bit of a, like I said, reservation. Because even someone like Andrew Thomas, he could have a sophomore slump. I don't expect it to happen, but would you be shocked if it did? Me personally, no. I mean, we've seen it happen before. I mean, Will Hernandez, we, you know, you mentioned him before and, uh, you know, having a, a dropping off after a first year in which he looked like he was headed for, for the Pro Bowl. So nothing would surprise me. I, definitely not when it comes to the offensive line. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I think the, the plus is, is the coaching staff. This is a different coaching staff than Hal Hunter, who is the offensive line coach. And it's a different coaching staff than it was in 2020 when Joe Judge had to fire his offensive line coach because they almost got into a fight. <laughs> so that that instability that was even on the team last season is no longer there. They brought in De Guglielmo and he was just a stopgap. And now you have your guy, the guy that you trust. So I do have faith in that coaching staff, but you need all of these guys to progress and all of these guys to get better. Cause the 31st ranked line Patty is, is not great. You need to, you need yeah. to go up by at least, you need to be at least a top half offensive line. If you want to do anything in the playoffs, let alone just the regular season, but even if they get through the regular season in the playoffs, you want to be at least a top half offensive line. They were nowhere close to that last year, according to a lot of the analytical metrics and the film. I mean, I don't grind the film for all 32 NFL teams, but I watch a lot of Giants. I watched the game multiple times, and the Giants' offensive line was a problem last year. Yeah, it definitely was, and hopefully they needed to to really be solid because you know, look, they've got to make a decision on Daniel Jones sooner than later. I don't know if that decision will come after this season. I don't think it will because of the cap situation, but you never know. I'm sure if he has a, a good year, they're going to start banging the table or at least make an inquiry about it. Folks, you are listening to Locked On Giants with Patricia Trena and special guest Nick Filato of Giants Country. And Big Blue Banter also writes for Big Blue View. We're going to take our final break. And when we come back, more from Nick as we wrap things up here on the Locked on Giants podcast. Stay with us. Hey, Giant fans. If you haven't tried the all-new Built Bar, you're really missing out. They offer an amazing assortment of flavors, both of the nut and nut-free varieties, which is sure to appease any taste. And can I take a moment to tell you about their new Coconut Brownie Chunk Bar? Folks, this is by far my favorite, a Bilt Bar selection, and a perfect way for me to swap out a meal, or if my day is particularly busy and I need a quick bite, tide me over until my next meal. Bilt Bars are covered in 100% chocolate, and they really taste like you're eating a candy bar, except you're not. You're indulging in a low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, and high-fiber treat that's great for the keto diet or any diet plan you happen to be on. So head on over to BuiltBar.com today and use the special promo code LOCKEDON20 to get 20% off your next order. That's BuiltBar.com and enter the promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off your next order. That's promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at BuiltBar.com. 
Hey, Giant fans, this is Patricia Traina, host of the Locked on Giants podcast. If you're looking for a way to keep Giants football in the forefront during this offseason, pick up a copy of my new book, The Big 50 New York Giants, The Men and Moments That Made the New York Giants. This 350-plus page book takes a deep dive into the rich history of the Giants franchise, covering every era with stories, photos, and more that take you behind the headlines. The Big 50 New York Giants is available on Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, TriumphBooks.com, and wherever books are sold. Pick up your copy today, and thank you to everyone for your support. And welcome back, Giant fans, to Locked on Giants. Patricia Trainer here with you, and I am joined by Nick Filato of Giants Country, a Big Blue Banter podcast of uh, Big Blue View. He's all over the place, but he does such a good job keeping everything straight and just really somebody whose work you really need to be checking out. You will learn a lot from this, this young man, and I'm happy to have him on the podcast with me today. Nick, let's uh, let's kind of back out and look at the big picture now for this roster. I mean, when you look at what the Giants have done in free agency and also what they have done in the draft, where are they still, you know, besides the offensive line, obviously, but where are they still maybe a little shaky in your opinion to where you would have liked to have seen them add some more assets? I would say I would have liked to obviously see them add a little bit more assets into the interior offensive line, but I'm pretty sure I talked about that pretty extensively. So I think another position that could have been upgraded on was probably linebacker next to Blake Martinez. I like Tay Crowder. I think he showed a lot as Mr. Irrelevant coming in, and I think he's only going to grow. But you always want to add competition. Last year, the Giants added several linebackers. They turned two of them into edge. Carter Coughlin was more of an edge at the University of Minnesota. But Cam Brown, they kind of converted more to an edge role. And we know the Giants by themselves, and they want versatility, especially, specifically, at that edge linebacker position. But they also drafted T.J. Brunson, who was a practice squad guy last year at the University of South Carolina in the seventh round. But I still think it would have been, if, if I had to pick, because you look at the roster, it's actually a pretty sound roster, to be honest. And that gives me a lot of happiness. They're, they're, it's a pretty good roster on paper. You'll love the secondary. The defensive line, the thing that's a little bit concerning for me is the fact that a lot of them are going to be on expiring contracts. And I believe the Giants have like 46 expiring contracts after this season, which is definitely an issue. And another reason why it's good to have more 2022 picks because you're going to want that cheap labor, as Dave Gettleman said. But they could have invested in defensive tackle, which a lot of people don't like to hear, that that would have been more for the future. But I think linebacker would have been a position that you could have also targeted because they took care of the wide receiver. They drafted a running back, which is – um, one that made me scratch my head a little bit. And then obviously I, I wouldn't suggest that they should go draft a quarterback. So I believe it would be that. And if I had to pick one more a position that I haven't said yet would be tight end just because Evan Ingram's probably not going to be on the roster past this season. Kyle Rudolph had a two year deal dealing with an injury right now. And then you have Caden Smith. So I think if they looked at a tight end, like a John Bates later in the draft, who's a blocking tight end, I think he would have fit Jason Garrett's system really well. I think that would have been a wise decision, but I'm not going to knock the Giants for not going that route. I'm sure they'll sign some tight ends in undrafted free agency. Yeah, I was surprised too. I mean, I, every mock I did, I think Pat Fryermuth fell to the Giants, and I kept picking him based on that. But look, you can't fill everything 
in uh, you know in an off season. I, I I think you know besides offensive line, Nick, the one area where I have a question mark still is is running back, and not because you know Saquon Barkley, but because of Saquon Barkley, and by that I mean he's coming off of an ACL. I don't think they're going to throw him into a full workload right off the bat, especially after it's been almost a year or it will have been almost a year since he tore his ACL. And there's always that, that period where you, you watch a guy coming back from an ACL and you say, okay, he's not quite his pre-injury self. It can sometimes take up to a year, a year and a half, sometimes two years, depending on the player. So that has me a little bit nervous. And so let me ask you this. I mean, if Saquon isn't quite Saquon this year, can they work around that, do you think? Or, or do they really need him to, to be Saquon pre-injury? I mean, being Saquon pre-injury would be the best thing for this Giants team because how are you going to really focus on Daniel Jones when you have Saquon Barkley coming out of the backfield? I mean, Daniel Jones had a lot more advantageous passing defenses in 2019 because teams just focused so much on Saquon Barkley. But I think if Saquon isn't fully back, I think Devontae Booker is going to assume a much bigger role. And honestly, they might add somebody in on draft of free agency or they might look at Gary Brightwell, who they drafted in the sixth round out of Arizona. Now, there were running backs like Khalil Herbert and a couple other guys who were still on the board that I feel like are more dynamic running backs. But Brightwell is a compact running back who runs with a lot of power, isn't the best athlete. Uh, you don't want to get him involved in the passing game. I think that addition, honestly, was more of a special teams thing. I mean, he had like seven tackles uh, in college in special teams, which is actually a decent amount. And I, I think Joe Judge and Dave Gettleman really looked at him and Rodarius Williams as special teams contributors. But, I mean, worse comes to worse, it's if this kid does earn a role, they might have to try him out at running back if Saquon Barkley isn't that great, which honestly would be a step up from the uh, from some of the running backs the Giants trotted out there back in 2019 <laughs> when they had the kid out of Rutgers against the New England Patriots. That was a, that was not a great thing to see. But honestly, the Brightwell draft pick did make me scratch my head a little bit. And the up when uh, Michael Carter, the kid from UNC, was still on the board at the top of day three, I was like, oh, that would be the best change of pace back. Somebody you can really get involved in the passing game. That would be quite lovely for the New York Giants. But the Jets ended up scooping them up, and the Jets had a fantastic draft as well. Yeah, they definitely did. Um, and then just, you know, overall, I mean, uh, as we record this, the Giants are starting to bring in some undrafted free agents. I know you haven't really gotten too deep into the tape. There have been a couple of uh, offensive linemen. I mean, any names jumping out at you just, you know, based on what's come in so far? And again, just a reminder to those listening, we're taping this on a Sunday night. I'm sorry, a Saturday night. So uh, there there will probably be more coming in, at, you know, by the time you hear this pod. Yeah, for me, it would be an edge. <laughs> Go figure. Raymond Johnson, he's six foot two, 260 pounds, didn't test all that well, but he was very, very productive out of Georgia Southern. It's a smaller school, but I mean, he had 147 pressures through four seasons, 18 sacks, was really getting after the quarterback, tested really well, according to pro football focus. And I wasn't able to dive into a lot of his film outside of little highlights here and there. And I don't really like speaking on a player just off that kind of stuff. But I did see some power, some pop in his hands. It doesn't really seem like the explosive bendy type of guy, but he's an undrafted free agent at a position where the Giants don't necessarily have a lot of proven talent quite yet. So that's somebody who could make noise a la Nicolalos last year who came in out of Dartmouth and 
was kind of a big reason the Giants ended up beating the Cincinnati Bengals in the game where Daniel Jones ended up getting hurt. He had that interception. He also helped force a fumble that Logan Ryan, I believe, ended up punching out. But he was the one who held up the receiver at that time. And then they brought in the Florida center, Brett Hagee. Now, I had never evaluated Hagee, but I watched a lot of Florida offense. And he's somebody that definitely struggles with strength, but takes good angles, can kick out in the space, has some athletic ability. But I just don't see him holding up at the point of attack against some of these two gapping defensive tackles, like a Dalvin Tomlinson or something like that. That would be pretty tragic. And he's not overly refined with his hands quite yet. But these are undrafted guys. You bring them in, you allow them to compete. And uh, that's kind of like what happened with Kyle Murphy last year. But I have a higher hope for a player like Kyle Murphy than I do with somebody like Brett Hagee, but I'm all for adding these guys, bringing them in, seeing what they have. Nick, final question for you. We saw what the Giants unveiled on offense and defense um, last year in the first year of, you know, Joe Judge, Jason Garrett, and uh, Patrick Graham. Where do you think on both sides of the ball, what do you think is going to change the most, whether it be an addition, a subtraction, taking into consideration the personnel that they brought in and the personnel that they've lost? Yeah, so I think on defense, we're going to see a lot more press man because of the personnel that they brought in. So with Dory Jackson, Aaron Robinson, I think you're going to see a lot more press man, a lot of more man match type of concepts and probably a little bit less, a little bit less of the cover three type of zone concepts that we saw. We saw Patrick Graham get creative down the stretch of the season, Patty, and run a lot of inverted cover two. And that's when the safety who's center of the field drops and drops down. And then the two cornerbacks drop in and they basically split half the field in a deep half coverage. And I hope they still employ that because it really confuses some quarterbacks. They ended up a the interception in the Bengal game. That was because of that coverage that ended up sealing that victory for the New York Giants. But the press man is definitely going to happen a lot more. I still hope that they employ those five-man pressure packages where they bring the nickel back off the edge and then have the safety take his coverage assignment. I think that was effective. I think also the interior five-man pressure package where they bring the linebacker is also something that is definitely going to improve. We're not going to be seeing Devontae Downs on the field as much, hopefully. The David Mayos of the world playing the edge, we won't be seeing. Instead of Jabal Sheard and Trent Harris and those guys, you should be seeing Azizo Jolari and Ellerson Smith and Isidio Denigbo and, uh, and uh, Ryan Anderson. So I think that's definitely an upgrade to the defense. And Patrick Graham is a brilliant mind. And as Jason Garrett, he's a very smart guy. I just disagreed with how he employed the offense last year. I think it was a little bit unimaginative. So I'm hoping on the offensive side of the ball, when you bring in Kenny Galladay, you have your big X. We know Jason Garrett loves having those big X's. You have Kyle Rudolph. You know Jason Garrett loves employing the wide stick option with his tight end. I think we're going to see more of that. And I think in terms of Kenny Galladay, you're going to be seeing a lot more pushing the ball vertical and having him win in contested catch situations whenever he has those one-on-one matches. Daniel Jones in 2019 loves targeting Darius Slayton in these situations. And whenever Kenny Galladay isn't clouded, I think he's going to do similar things. It's going to be hard to focus that much coverage on Kenny Galladay when you have Kadarius Tony on the field, when you have Saquon Barkley on the field, when you have Sterling Shepard in the slot, and when you have Darius Slayton. So I think as we talked about a little bit earlier, Patty, I think you're going to see a lot more diversity in the personnel packages because you have a lot more talented receivers that you can kind of throw out onto the field. But one thing I really want to see it's just more pre-snap motion, more bunches, more stacks, more, and especially in Kadarius Tony's cases, more having him aligned on one side of the field, motioning him past Daniel Jones, 
using him, and then you could you, you can use him on play action, you can use him on fake jet sweeps, you can use him on actual jet sweeps, and you can just have the defense adjust right before the play that can screw up an assignment, lead to a blown coverage, and the Giants get an easy seven points. You need to use more pre-snap motion, Jason Garrett. You need to move, you just need to employ that more in your offense to maximize just the entire effectiveness because the Giants were, what, 31st in points scored, 31st in yards gained. The only team that was worse than them were, was the Jets. I mean, that has to improve. You have the weapons to do it now. Now just put the right pieces into the right places and let's have this team win this division. Yeah, you'd like to think and give Jason Garrett the benefit of the doubt here and say that the reason why maybe he didn't do all those things that we were hoping he would do was because of the personnel that he had. At least that's, I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt. And now, you know, just as we're saying, there's no excuse for Daniel Jones not to do well. There's really no excuse for Jason Garrett to to run the stick routes and, and, and the, you know, the boring you know, plays that we, that we were all sitting there going, what is he doing? You know? So uh, I'm hoping that changes. Absolutely. I mean, in spacing concepts, they, they have their, their place in the NFL. Again, zone coverages, you can find the voids in the zone and you can pick up an easy four, five, six yards, seven yards. But when you run a a curl route and you turn back towards the quarterback, you're, you have no momentum. You have to from a stagnant position, you have to get your momentum going back up. You're going to get tackled. You need to have more of horizontal crosses, more mesh concepts, more guys breaking into space to optimize yards after the catch so Daniel Jones can use anticipation and throw these guys open. They can catch the football, and then they can run into space instead of just being basically statues out there when they catch the football, just allowing defenders to rally and tackle them. And another thing I wanted to bring up about Jason Garrett's system is I hope that he sticks with this power gap because I think Saquon Barkley is meant for this type of system. They run a lot of those types of um, concepts at Penn State where a power gap, so essentially you're pulling. It's pin, a lot of pin-pull concepts, so you can have the center pin, have the backside guard pull around them. One of the main plays they ran last year, and they started doing it against the Dallas Cowboys, was the counter-tray play where the H-back and the backside guard pull. The backside guard kicks out the end man on the line of scrimmage who is blocked in the H-back lead block. And I thought King Smith did a really good job doing that this past year. But uh, Gillespie, Colin Gillespie, the guy that they acquired from the Texans, signed up for agency, he's somebody who I also think can fit that role really well. And I think with Saquon Barkley's acceleration, his burst, and his explosiveness, to hit one defined hole where he doesn't have to think as much, where he doesn't have to use... Um, I guess you say vision as much. And I'm not knocking his vision, but he's more fit for, hey, there's your hole, explode through it, use your superior athletic ability to make people miss in that hole, make that alley defender miss. That's where Saquon Barkley should thrive. And I'm really excited to see him in that type of system because I really think that he can just be incredibly special. And they have to get him involved in the passing game too. If he's healthy, get that guy involved in the passing game, use some Texas concepts, use some arrow routes, and just allow him to make plays in space because when he's healthy, Patty, he's one of the most dynamic athletes in the National Football League. Yes, he is. And Nick, you know, we got to get you on the coaching staff. I mean, you have some fantastic ideas. I'm sitting here and I'm sitting here going, oh my gosh, this is awesome. I mean, I could talk about this stuff all day with you. It's, it's, it's phenomenal. <laughs> Thank you so much. All right, Giant fans, that's going to do it, unfortunately, for this show. I know you all want to hear more from Nick. I know I do, but I do have a time limit, and I don't want to keep Nick from doing his other work that he has to do, as well as maybe enjoying some downtime, which he has so deserved after working as hard as he has the last several months. So thank you for tuning in, Giant fans, as always, and we'll talk to you again later in the week.
Get all the sports news you need in under 20 minutes with the Locked On Today podcast. Host Peter Bukowski updates you on all the latest news in every major sport with the help of our local experts. Follow the Locked On Today podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.